The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. But turn in your copy of God's Word to Titus 3, 12 through 15. Today is the end of our study in the book of Titus. And these three short chapters have been extremely practical and extraordinarily timely for our young church, haven't they? They've been framing the walls and the rooms in this church that Christ is building. So we've been putting our, in our hands those necessary tools of the gospel to live godly and to do good works. But today is also, as has been mentioned many times, the end of our worship services, or our Lord's Day of 2018. It's our final one together. I don't know about your life, but in my life, there are really two seasons that cause me to be reflective and to examine my own life before the Lord. The first season is at funerals. When I'm confronted with death and my own mortality, I stop and take a look at my own life and the legacy that I would leave if my own life was over today. Now, don't worry, we're not, it's not a morbid message. But the second season that causes me to be reflective and to examine the state of my own life is really the end of each calendar year. Because it's at these days and in this season when we are confronted with the finality of time and the passing of days that we cannot get back. And it causes me to ask, did I live 2018 for what matters most? Did I devote my time to things that will last? C.T. Studd was a British missionary of the late 1800s, early 1900s. Yes, you heard his last name correctly. And he has a pithy verse in a poem that he wrote that goes like this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Say that again. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And beyond a man known for his memorable last name, he was known for his intense faith and his urgency to evangelize. He was also, interestingly enough, a, a famous professional cricketer of those days. And he left that all behind. He forsook all that was temporary to devote his life to eternal purposes, leaving the wealth and the comfort of Britain to go to China with several others to bring the gospel message to that large nation. And Paul's final words in Titus ring this same simple, clear, and urgent melody like this quote. Look at Titus 3 with me as I read these final few verses. They say this, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. 
This is God's word for God's people. Do you know what the beauty of these verses are? The beauty of these verses are really the beauty of verse by verse, sequential, expositional preaching. The type of preaching that we're committed to at redemption, of working through books of the Bible, verse by verse, sequentially, uh, covering all the words in that particular book. Because we believe that every word is inspired by God. Every word of this book is authoritative over our lives. Every word points to Christ Jesus. And so we can't overlook these verses as just mere personal greetings. For if we didn't devote ourselves to every word, we would likely just pass over sections like this. But these are powerful words with specific application for you and for me. God has something for us right now in them. Do you want to find out what it is? I do. I do as well. Well, look here at verse 14, because the warning here is to not be unfruitful to not be unproductive. And so that brings up the question as we're at the end of this chapter, as we're at the end of 2018, well then what bears fruit? What will last? What matters most for Christ? Well here is what I think these verses teach us. A fruitful life, a fruitful life in Christ first cares for one another. A fruitful life cares for one another. See, there is, as I said, there's more than just travel plans, ministry logistics, and warm Christmas greetings happening here. Look at verse 12 in your Bible here, because what's here is an example of Christian love and care among brothers being shown for us. See, Paul is sending Artemis and Tychicus to Crete to continue the ministry on this strategic island. As we've been working our way through it, we've learned a little bit about Crete. It's there in the Mediterranean island. You can still visit it today. And it was a strategic outpost as the gospel was advancing and spreading from Israel throughout the Greco-Roman Empire. And as people would take a boat, they would, one of their stops to refuel, so to speak, to gain more uh, resources and the supplies that they would need on their journey was there in Crete. And so believers would pass through there. There was also an outpost as, as merchants would be coming there. And as they would come and hear the gospel, then they would go back to their hometowns, to their uh, cities and nations of origin with the gospel, spreading it and advancing it. And so it was of utmost importance that the ministry would continue there. And so Paul, writing to his protege Titus, who had been along with him many times, Paul had sent Titus to begin this work there. He is now sending these two young men. He had numerous guys like this. As you read through Acts and the epistles, you see all these names that are, yes, hard to pronounce. But he was equipping and sending them in the ministry. And once they arrived, once they arrived, they were to pass the baton, and uh, Titus was then to go and meet. Now, these two guys, nothing is known of Artemis. This is the only mention of him in your Bible. We don't know anything about him, but Tychicus is well known to us. He's mentioned actually often as an associate of Paul, just as much as like Timothy and Titus. Maybe we just kind of overlook him. Anybody heard of Tychicus? Some, maybe, but he has kind of a hard name, so it's like, well, I'm not going to name my kid that, so it just kind of goes to the back of our memories. But he's mentioned often. If you really just actually turn one page over, probably, 2 Timothy 4 Uh, verse 
uh, 12, he's mentioned here. He says, Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And so that's where he was. And maybe he's there currently as uh, uh, now Paul is going to send him to Crete. So Paul had sent him there to do ministry there. Paul had also sent Timothy to uh, Ephesus at one point, but he was being used to uh, preach the gospel and to minister to the saints and evangelize the lost there in Ephesus. It's also mentioned in Colossians, the very end. See if I can find it in my own Bible. Colossians 4, verse 7. Just listen here as I read about him. It says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. This is Paul writing to a church body in the city of Colossae. And look what he says about him. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus was a faithful brother, faithful to the gospel and a deep encourager. He's also mentioned in Ephesians. He's, uh, he's sent there with the same type of message. Listen to this. So that you may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may, here it is, encourage your hearts. So an encouraging brother a faithful minister of the gospel that is being sent now here to continue the work of the ministry. Artemis and Tychicus coming now to Crete to take up the mantle of uh, appointing elders, of equipping the saints, of uh, training them in discipleship. He's handing that baton off to Titus so that, look, so that Titus can then leave his uh, ministries up there and he's to come and meet Paul at Nicopolis so they can spend the winter there. Now, just as we're kind of working through this, there's some details here that I think are important for us, but it's really unknown exactly Nicopolis, where this is likely in the region that, of those days of Dalmatia, which is now, uh, Dalmatia, like a Dalmatian dog, now is like Serbia, Croatia, um, likely there, but there is actually lots of Nicopolises because it means the city of victory, and so as um, uh, the military would come in and conquer a region or whatever, they might set up a new city or rename one. Hey, we just conquered. This is now the city of victory. But they're not just going there for vacation, mind you. They're coming there to encourage one another, to be refreshed in the Lord, to, uh, to share the ministry stories, to do ministry there in Nicopolis, and then to be sent and to head somewhere else with the gospel. But Paul and Titus are going to meet up back there. It's unknown, actually, if they did. We don't see this in the book of Acts, and so whether or not they did actually make it there is unknown to us. But also, look what happens here. As they are caring for one another, not only are they sending, not only is Paul sending people to Crete and Titus is to leave, although somewhere in the meantime, Zenos and Apollos were due to arrive on Crete on a stop in their journey. Now, like the first two, not, and nothing is known of Zenos and whether or not he's actually Jewish or, or Roman. But they call him a lawyer. If he was Roman, then he was probably a litigator in the Roman courts. If he was Jewish, then he was uh, likely an Old Testament expert in the Old Testament law. But we're really unsure, but Apollos is well known. You've probably read through Acts. You've heard him mentioned in other places. Not Apollo like, you know, uh, Rocky and all that, but this Apollos, he's a well-known minister of the gospel, an evangelist, that is passing uh, back and forth throughout this region, preaching the gospel. And he first comes on the scene, actually, in Acts 18. And I want you to turn here and see this section with me. Acts 18. 
towards the front of your New Testament, probably back about 50 pages or so in your Bible. Acts 18, verse 24. Just want you to see this testimony about this man here. Paul has been ministering in Corinth, city there, and he leaves there and goes to Ephesus, but then he leaves uh, Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus and heads on to Antioch. But in Ephesus, this person comes on the scene. Now a Jew, this is Acts 18, verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, which is Egypt, he came to Ephesus. And look how it describes him. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. It's a pretty good uh, description of a man's ministry in life, isn't it? He was eloquent. He was well-spoken. He was a man of energy and passion. He was knowledgeable in the scriptures, but not so knowledgeable that he was puffed up, was he? See, there were some gaps. He was young. He was uh, maybe immature. His, he hadn't had the, the fullness of the revelation of the scriptures and about who Jesus was. And so Priscilla and Aquila, who had spent time with Paul and who were more mature, they took on the role of disciples with him. And this man, who was fervent in spirit, very gifted communicator, was humble and teachable enough to be instructed so that the real power of his ministry through the accurate teaching of God's word became more powerful as he went into the synagogues and as he traveled around uh, evangelizing and uh, going into synagogues and doing ministry there. This was a mighty man, a mighty preacher for the Lord who was doing some great work. And just as he was there being taught and then wanted to be sent to Achaia and they were told to welcome him, look at, go back to Titus and you'll see the same instructions here, right? They are on their way. Now this guy, Zenos, has joined Apollos in his evangelistic efforts, and they are to send him along, to speed him along in his way and see that they lack nothing. So not only are these Cretan believers, this church there, Titus and, and the church is there to welcome him, but they're to send them on their way and to support them in the gospel. They are continuing this ministry, and they are to see that they lack not food, but bed, or money, or anything while they're there, and then all that they need to support the work on to the next stop. Now again, I've said, we've just gone through all the ministry logistics and the personality profiles, and that's not where the power and the, the impact and the application of these verses are, is there? See, there is a depth of relationship among these brothers that has broken through the surface. These are not just ministry acquaintances. They're not just companions or co-workers in the professional marketplace. But they are brothers in the Lord, intimately known and vulnerable with one another. And this cross-pollination is making the fruit of their life and their ministry more healthy and abundant. These are brothers who delight in one another, who care for one another. And so just as we've gone through it and we've seen it, look how, what their care is. Their care is mutual, isn't it? 
Their care is mutual. It is a two-way street. It's reciprocal. It's not one side always giving and the other side always receiving. No, it is mutual. It moves toward the other. See, there is a pursuit, each pursuing the spiritual good and growth and well-being of the others. It isn't a cat and mouse game of one moving on and, and making the other pursue. No, this care for one another, these relationships are moving towards one another, towards the good of the others. But it's also costly. It's costly. They're to give up. They're to travel. They're to move. They're to give of their resources so that one another lacks nothing. And it sacrifices happily for the good of the other. And and beloved, we know this principle. The more valuable something is to us, the more it costs, the more valuable it really is, isn't it? The greater lengths that we go to protect it. You know, we've maybe got some stocking stuffers, those little $1 trinkets in in your stocking, right? And where do those go? They just kind of get scattered across the floor. At least that's where it is at my house, right? They're just kind of everywhere. They're landmines in your living room that, uh, you know, you're walking over and you can break it because they're just trinkets. But those big gifts, those valuable ones that you get, the ones that cost a lot of money or the things that were at the top of our Christmas wish list, those are the things that we put aside. We make sure they get up on a shelf. They're out of reach of the little ones, aren't they? We go, the more valuable it is to us, the more lengths we go to protect it. $1 trinkets, easy to cast off. $10,000 treasures, we hold on to tightly. And brothers and sisters, our Christian friendships, our Christian brothers and sisters are not $1 trinkets to cast off. They're costly. They're relationships that we, we don't just come and go in and out of when it's convenient. When I have time in my schedule, when I'm well-rested or whatever, they're not relationships that we just go to in a crisis. When I need something, yes, we're there for one another in crisis, don't hear me saying we're not, but that's not the only time that we show up. No, we stick around, we give and we take in this care of these relationships, especially the ones that we have within our small groups together. These are treasures bought at the incalculable cost of Christ's death, his life, and death. See, he went to the, he paid the greatest price, didn't he? To reconcile us to himself. He put his own life on the line. He paid the greatest price with, with the knowledge of no return. So we don't live our lives giving back to the Lord, tithing, serving, all these things because we somehow have a debt that we pay back to Christ. No, it's been paid in full. We just now get the joy and the privilege of giving back to the Lord, but it's not as if he's in our debt or we are in his but he paid the price, going to Calvary, dying on the cross, laying down his own life that we might be reconciled to him and to one another. We are bought into his family. These are relationships, mind you, relationships that we will have for all eternity. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are ones that will last for all eternity. They came at a great cost. Our care for one another is mutual. It moves towards one another. It costs a lot, but it also weathers transitions. It can weather transitions because the roots are deep in Christ. The stock is strong so that even when multiplication happens or moves are made, the care can continue. See, there's a whole like chess game of ministry logistics happening in these few verses, aren't there? 
And yet there's no loss in the love and care that they have for one another and their commitment to the gospel in the midst of all these moving. It's like in, with flowers, bearing fruit. Sometimes cuttings have to be taken off and planted elsewhere to multiply that beauty, to produce more fruit. And so you take a healthy plant, you, take, you cut it off and you plant it elsewhere. Otherwise, you, you, you can run the risk of overgrowth or even stunting the growth in those plants. And so there's moves that are made. There's multiplication that happens for the good of one another and for the multiplication of the gospel and these relationships. But the depth of the relationship, the care for one another, weathers even transitions, weathers multiplications and moves because our bond is an eternal bond in Christ Jesus. Is it not? Is it not? And so as 2018 comes to a close here, and as we think about our fruitful life, am I, am I devoting my life to the things that matter most? Here are a few questions for reflection for you to think about. For us to think about as we are in the midst, as we're confronted with God's word, a fruitful life in Christ cares for one another. This vertical aspect has horizontal implications in our relationships with one another. So here's a question to think about. You can write them down if you want and, and, and uh, continue to think about it for the next few days or just answer it even here. The first is this, have I cared for my brothers and sisters in Christ well? Say it again. Have I cared for my brothers and sisters in Christ well? So you examine your life, the fruit of your life, this past year in 2018. Have I? How about this question? Have I been a healthy blend of give and take in my relationships? Say it again. Have I been a healthy blend of give and take in my relationships? Not always the person that's taking and taking and taking, coming and just taking and taking and never giving back, never uh, uh, reaching out to somebody else to care for them. Or have I been the person that's just give and 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 never let anybody in to know my needs and my desires and my shortcomings and my struggles, the help that I need. And here's a final one. As we think about our care for, care for one another is what can I do in 2019 to make it right? To balance that out. To balance this blend of give and take and my commitment, my care, my love, my concern for my brothers and sisters in Christ that God has put in my life. A care that's mutual, that moves towards, that's costly, that weathers even transitions. This is the mark of a fruitful, abundant life in Christ. Beloved, can we make 2019 a year of increased care for one another? Can we bear the fruit of a heart captured by the Father, changed by Christ, and controlled by the Spirit? See, then those around us that are not yet saved will see this fruit, and they will know we are what? We are Christians by our love, by our love for one another. And that will cause them, they will want a taste of the fruit. They will want a, a taste of this. They will want to know what is different as they see the care and the concern and the love that we have for one another. They will want a taste of this as we see it yet again here in verse 14. See, a fruitful life not only cares for one another, but here's our second point. It commits to good works. 
commits to good works. Look in verse 14 in your, in your Bible with me. See, this command to devote themselves to good works has been repeated many times and in multiple ways throughout Titus, hasn't it? If you've been with us each Sunday as we've worked our way through this book, you know that back in uh, chapter two, verse seven, young men are to be models, to be exemplary in good works. All of us then, not just the young men, but all of us in chapter two, verse 14, are to be zealous for good works. We're to be uh, on fire to do them. We're to be fervent in our spirit. We're to be, uh, as chapter three, verse one says, ready to do good works always in a constant state of rowdiness, an army mobilized to serve one another for their spiritual good. And then here a second time, first in chapter three, verse eight, and now in our verse that we're looking at in chapter three, verse 14, we're to be devoted, unwavering in our commitment. This is a non-negotiable in the schedule of our life, in the priorities of our life here, are devoted, our life is committed to good works. And you know what I love about this verse here? Just look how we, look how he begins. Paul's acknowledging that it's a work in progress. He says, let our people, I like that phrase, isn't it? And then we kind of refer to one another like, these are my people, right? Like as our church, it's like, these are, my, these are my people, let our people. You know, I don't think he's really using American jargon like that in that familiar sense, but it's like, you know, these are, these are, these are my folks, these are my peeps, as they say, right? This is who we are, these are these, we're, we're peeps, these, but let us learn. Let our people here learn to devote ourselves, that we're making progress and growing every year. That we are taking steps and not, uh, not always big jump steps. Sometimes it's just a step. But every time, a step as we learn this, as we mature in our understanding of theology, as we mature in our application of holiness, we must also mature in being increasing in our commitment to serving others for their spiritual good, often by meeting physical needs. And I want to help sort something out in our minds here, because sometimes I think maybe we use these terms interchangeably, they're part of our like, Christian dialect, and we don't always uh, get them maybe right in our minds and in our understanding. And so let me, let me begin by saying this. Here is, there's, there's kind of a bridge here. So good works is where we start. Good works is defined as this. I said it last week, here it is for you. But good works are serving others for their spiritual good with a little tagline, often by meeting physical needs. That's what a good work is, and we as believers, as we've just seen, are commanded to be involved in that. But good works are the bridge to evangelism. Evangelism, simply defined, this is one of our pillars, sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness, all right? And evangelism then is the bridge and leads to discipleship. And now we've seen all of these in the book of Titus. And so as we're coming to an end, I want you to just see uh, clearly how this works out. Discipleship, we've defined it this way, intentionally investing in another for their spiritual growth. All right? And so each of these is a bridge to the other. We engage in good works as believers, mind you, we must be Christians. We must be those bought by uh, Christ because our good works don't lead us to salvation, do they? Do we do good works? And then God's like, all right, you've done enough, you're saved. 
No, those who are saved by grace through faith now engage in good works. And so this is believers really engaging unbelievers, but also believers here, engaging others so that it opens up the opportunity of believer among unbeliever to share the gospel to evangelize, and once that person is saved, once God has redeemed their heart, that the work of regeneration has been wrought in their heart, and they now believe, been justified, saved, all those big words, once that has happened, then, and really only then, as believer to believer, then the process of discipleship is engaged for the rest of our lives, working out our sanctification, working out our holiness. But we've seen this aspect of discipleship. This is the olders, youngers of us growing in our spiritual walk with the Lord. And all of these things, see, we live vertically to the glory of God, don't we? All of our life is lived vertically, and we fulfill our mission as believers, as a church, which is really the Great Commission, as we devote ourselves to good works. Here's a great way to think of it. Good works till the soil for the gospel. Evangelism plants the seeds of the gospel and discipleship fertilizes the flower of the gospel, bearing fruit that remains. All of these things are a good work. They're all connected, but beloved, we won't bear any fruit here without tilling the soil and planting the gospel seeds. We must be devoted to good works. Otherwise, beloved, hear this, hear this. Otherwise, if we are not devoted to good works, this is why this is so important. We will never grow spiritually, personally, or even numerically as a church if we neglect good works. This is where it has to begin. As we live in a dark world, as we live in a world that is not bearing fruit, we must be zealous, ready, devoted to good works opening up opportunities to evangelize and then disciple one another. And you know what he brings us to here in our our verse as we devote ourselves to this? So as to help cases of urgent need. See, one very productive work, just one way, is meeting to urgent needs. And see, here's the thing. Needs abound in our city, don't they? Needs abound in our state, in our nation, around the globe. Why? Because sin abounds, doesn't it? And so long as sin is still abounding, needs will never cease, really until Jesus returns. That's why we look forward to Christ coming back, right? Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and then these things will go. So needs are all around us. And so God has given us different passions, different skills, different giftings, so we can meet some of them and do our part to be ready and devoted to these things. But what we're all called to do is meet those needs that are most urgent. Those who are being tenderized by the trials of life to receive the gospel and find hope in Christ. You know, language that we use around redemption here is is that we're looking for those ripe apples ready to be picked those that God is at work in, sometimes through trials, sometimes through these urgent needs where they are more uh, uh, just tenderized to hear the things of the gospel, where they are recognizing their need, their sinfulness, their, that they are apart from Christ. And so we get to come and meet physical needs and to help them and to have an opportunity, the platform handed, uh, laid before us to then share the good news, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. These people, these are the neighbors, the coworkers, even the strangers who we hear about who are diagnosed with cancer, 
who are grieving a death, who maybe have lost a job, who've lost their home to a fire, those things that are the trials of life that you strategically, by God, are put into their life to bring your family, to bring your small group in, to rush to these urgent needs, to make meals, to help with childcare, to give money, to clean their house, to fix their car, whatever it may be. These are the urgent needs that we as God's people are devoted to and we rush to these types of opportunities. And these are the personal ones. These aren't necessarily the programmatic things that our church may be involved in. These aren't the large-scale needs that, like uh, hurricanes and flooding, natural disasters, those things that we mobilize as believers to partake in. These are j- this is just living out as a good neighbor, as a people concerned about the other folks that are around you that God has strategically put in your life that you can be the light of the gospel and you can engage in good works and serve them with no expectation of anything in return. We rush to these opportunities, lives devoted to the Lord, devoted to good works. This is a fruitful life. A fruitful life cares for one another and is committed, committed to good works. And so as we think about this, reflect with me again. 2018 is coming to a close. No, it might be, it's like, that's been like 363 days or whatever. I can't think back on all these days. We'll just think about maybe the last few days, last few weeks however far back your memory goes with me. But as 2018 comes to a close, reflect with me in light of these things. Examine the fruit of your commitment to good works. Here's the first question. Can I honestly say that I'm devoted to good works? Before the Lord, for others around me, can I honestly say that I'm devoted to good works? As you think about that, here's a follow-up question. What needs exist around me that I can meet? What needs exist around me? Where where has God put me in my neighborhood, among my family members, uh, in the job that he's placed me? What needs exist around me that I can meet, that I'm interested in? The desires that God has put in, the skills that he's given me. What is it that I can And third, as we think, as we reflect, as God's word is set before us, what resources can I set aside to be ready for urgent needs? I say that again. What resources can I set aside to be ready for urgent needs? Is it time? Is it vacation days? Is it money? Is it things that we can plan for, budget for, knowing that needs exist? What can I set aside in 2019 to be ready, to be devoted. That when a need comes up and you hear about something, a neighbor, that it's without question, yep, I can help you with that. I'd love to help you with that. Maybe it's in the form of H-E-B gift cards or something. But let's think about these things. Let's reflect on them. How does it look in your life, in my life, to be devoted to good works, and so not be unfruitful. Unproductive, some translations say. 
And when we look at our life, are we bearing the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of a love for Jesus Christ, the fruit of grace that has been shown to us and now shared with those we encounter? See, that's where he ends here in verse 15, right? That he, he sends these warm greetings. It's not just like the Christmas cards that we receive that make us feel warm. We put them up on our walls here. It's not necessarily what he's doing. He is, it's this warmth and love that he is showing that is born out of the grace that has been shown him by Christ Jesus. And so as 2019 dawns, let's learn our lesson. Let's expand our commitment to good works. Let's make the most of the opportunities that God has prepared beforehand for us in Christ Jesus to walk in so that when we get to the end of our life, when we get to maybe just the end of 2019 and we reflect in the same way that God would find us faithful and fruitful with the time, talent, and treasure that he has given us. Let's be warm in our greeting, our affection toward one another that flows again from the grace that we've been shown in Christ. For apart from his grace to us, any reflection, any examination of our life would really just expose the frightful condition of our hearts. But seen through the lens of the gospel, those that have been bought by grace, because this grace of God has appeared, salvation is possible, is it not? And so let's, redemption, let's let 2019 bear the fruit of grace in your life as we care for one another, as we commit to good works in our own life and in the life of our church, Redemption Bible Church. What did C.T. Studs say? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bear fruit in our lives.